Well, good morning. Uh, welcome uh, to everyone here in the sanctuary and also those who are uh, following with us uh, online from at home. It's great to, to have everyone here worshiping our God together. Now, you, you guys have it so easy, I want you to know. For those of us down in the pavilion at 8.30 and then at 9.30, boy, we were, we were feeling the, uh, the chill that, this morning. So it's good to be in, uh, in some warm uh, conditions here. A couple announcements uh, uh, this evening uh, from 5 to 7. Our youth group starts back up, so be uh, praying uh, for the blessing of uh, our young people. It's good to be having them back uh, together. And then Thursday night is our second Sing Along uh, with Amy. And uh, any one of you who followed along uh, the last time, you just know what a great blessing, uh, encouragement that that was. So I hope you'll join us. We'll be sending you links um, online uh, for you to get to. And you'll be able to reach it by both Facebook and YouTube. I, I encourage you to do it by Facebook because you can actually interact. And we were actually able to make some improvements on the sound uh, because, uh, well, Russell Puppy was letting us know you need to uh, fix that sound a little bit better. So I uh, so encourage you to take part in that. Uh, Amy, do you have enough uh, songs? Do you need more? Okay, so she wants you to send in songs that you want. The songs that, be, that she will sing or lead you in will be the ones that you've sent in. So you can send them to her or just send them, uh, just send them into the church, into Yvonne, and she'll see that Amy uh, gets them. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship.
the, uh, for a call to worship, read from Psalm 111. Our, our message this morning, the whole theme of the service is on the covenant. And listen uh, here as, as this psalmist uh, reflects upon that covenant. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. And we give you praise and thanksgiving as we come before you as your people, the people of your covenant, our God. We come to, to worship you and to, to honor you. We pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit and pray for your spirit to do that work in our own hearts and minds. And as we go through the, uh, the, the elements of worship, that they will come forth not merely from our minds, but spring from our hearts as well. We pray that we will honor you through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, He Will Hold Me Fast. Confession of Faith this morning is taken from the Westminster Confession of Faith and speaks to us about Christ as our mediator. Let us uh, profess together our faith. God was pleased in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and human beings. As the mediator, he is the prophet priest and king, the head and savior of the church, the heir of all things, and the judge of the world. God gave to him from all eternity 
a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we give you praise and thanksgiving, our God, that you are the one who dwells in heaven. You are the creator of all that there is. And we give you praise that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to dwell upon this earth, to take on our very flesh, and in that flesh make atonement for our sins. We pray, our Father, that we will hallow and honor your name this morning as we worship you. We pray that we would honor your name throughout all of our lives, whether it be here in, in a sanctuary, whether it be in our homes, whether it be in our schools, or in our workplaces, wherever it may be, that we honor our great God. We pray for your kingdom to come. We pray for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we might be found faithful in his service. We pray that our church will be faithful in the service of this kingdom. And we lift up our pastoral search committee and pray for our brothers and sisters as they uh, seek to diligently carry out the great responsibility uh, to, to seek out uh, that shepherd uh, for this flock. We pray, Father, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that we would be faithful in doing your will, that we would have such a spirit in which we delight in doing your will. Give to us our daily bread. Feed us with the word of, of, of God this morning. And we pray that you would provide for us physically the needs that we have. We pray for protection uh, from the coronavirus. But we lift up also uh, the needs of our people uh, through many various types of illnesses. There are those in our church with cancer and we pray for their healing. We pray for those who have children and grandchildren uh, with, um, with cancer or with other great concerns. We pray for Suzanne Ramsey's uh, 10-year-old daughter who may have cancer and for her healing and protection. We uh, pray for Jean Hesse's granddaughter as well with cancer and her healing. We lift up uh, Louise Murphy's uh, daughter of 19 weeks pregnant and the child within her womb. It's having kidney ailments, and we pray for protection of that child. Uh, we lift before you the, uh, the son-in-law of the Chandlers um, uh, with a, a brain tumor and pray for his full healing. And we pray for the family of Terry Burnett. And thank you for uh, the life of this man that he uh, honored you, particularly in his service uh, through Habitat for Humanity. And uh, so we pray for his family and all of his fellow co-workers. We um, commit our nation before you with all the, the wildfires, the hurricanes uh, that have taken place, and then the 
the, the hurricanes and just what is going on in our society. So much division. And pray that you would bring healing to our land. We pray, our Father, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that we not be led into temptation, but for all the more for you to protect us uh, from uh, the evil one and from the lures of this world. And we make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, I invite you to uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. And uh, you'll also find that scripture as an insert uh, in your bulletin as well. You know, we're always uh, making comparisons, aren't we? You know, we can't, uh, or people don't let us be content with saying, you know, I like chocolate ice cream and I like vanilla ice cream. We have to always say, well, which do you like better? Now, our, our author is that same way. And he certainly has strong opinions about Jesus being better. So far, he's told us how Jesus is better than angels, how Jesus is better than Moses, how Jesus is better than Abraham, how Jesus is a better priest than all of the Levitical priests put together. And in our passage this morning, he's going to tell us of how the covenant under Jesus is so much better than the covenant under Moses. So with that in mind, turn with me and we'll look and begin with verses 6 and 7. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, before we're going to look into why the new covenant is better than the old covenant, we're going to try to get a little bit of a handle on this concept of that term covenant. Our author's readers, who were most likely Jewish believers, they grew up already understanding this. The, the concept of a covenant, it was already central to their, their way of thinking and how they lived and how they practiced their religion. If you asked a Jew in his day about how he identified himself, he would have replied, I belong to God's covenant people. Now, there would be two ways in which he's applying that concept. First of all, in primary, he would say, I am a child of Abraham. Now, we remember God has called Abraham from out from among the pagan nations to, to become the father of a nation. God had said to Abram, at that time his name, in Genesis 12, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And then Genesis 15 records this ritual uh, that Abraham uh, goes through, or that God actually goes through, in which he is sealing a covenant with Abram at that time. And that passage concludes concludes this way, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so it would be this covenant that God made with Abraham, and then with Isaac, and then with Jacob, it is that covenant that would compel him to deliver their descendants from, from Egypt centuries later. And so we're told in Exodus 2, and God heard their groaning, And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, in the second application of the way that a Jew would be thinking about belonging to God's covenant people comes out of that Exodus story. 
So God delivers his people from Egypt through Moses. He frees them from slavery. But that's not the end of the story. He is to take them into the promised land, and there he is to form a nation for himself. Uh, that giving, when they go to Mount Sinai, and God gives the Ten Commandments and gives all of the other laws, that was done for the purpose of making them his unique people who belongs to that covenant. And so, before God gives Moses the uh, commandments and the law, he has Moses say these words on his behalf to the people. This is in Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, we know that all the world belongs to God. All the nations, all the peoples belong to him. And yet, there is one nation one people whom God marked for himself, who were to uh, bear his name, who were to represent him as a kingdom of priests and as a holy nation. And so the law of Moses then set the terms for that covenant between God and his Jewish people. And so to belong to and to to stay in that covenant relationship with God and his people, one had to observe the law as was handed down through Moses. Now, let's define what a covenant actually is. It's two parties entering into a binding relationship. The central idea is actually expressed in our text this morning which is a quotation from Jeremiah. And it's in this line in which God says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's what it means to be a covenant people, to belong to God. To belong to him is to belong to the covenant that he has made with his people. And to be rejected by God is to be cast out of that people group. It is the covenant now of Moses that our author has in mind when he's going to make this contrast between the new covenant with the old. And so again, he's going to use a text from Jeremiah 31 that will demonstrate that not only is the new covenant better, but that once it becomes in place, the old covenant will be obsolete. The new covenant is the one that is to be mediated by Jesus Christ. And he'll explain more about that in chapter 9. Right now, his attention is on how this covenant, new covenant of Jesus is superior to the old covenant of Moses. So look with me in verses 8 and 9. For he finds fault with them when he says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. 
On that day, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So Moses wrote down all the laws for the covenant. And then we read about this in in Exodus 24, 8. It says, he took the book of the covenant and then he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. There, they agreed to the terms. And uh, it would not be long, of course, that they would then just systematically break all the terms of those laws. And that pattern would continue through every generation. And these rebellious ways would, would then lead to their punishment. Usually it would be through neighboring armies that would come in and and oppress the people. Until first the nation of Israel and then the nation of Judah were eventually vanquished and sent into exile. Now we know that they would eventually resettle, but even then they would still continually be plagued by failure to live up to the standards of the law. Thus the need for a new covenant. Look with me now in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, after those days of exile, coming back in. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now again, the laws of Moses were written in a book to be read. And uh, some actually took very literally what Moses records in Deuteronomy. He writes, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so there were some who actually did that. They wrote little verses, put them in a little, roll them up a little bit, put them in tiny boxes wear them on their wrists, uh, put them around their forehead and had a little box on their frontlets. Perhaps you've had Jewish neighbors whom you've gone to their homes and you have noticed these little scrolls on their doorposts. And that's what they're doing. They're following this commandment literally. Now, the intent is well meant, but it still misses the meaning. The idea is that, look, The law was to be imprinted within you, on your heart, as you continually meditate on the law. The law is to be embedded in you in such a way that that knowing it and and just living by it, it's it's just a natural way of life. Well, that was not happening. But in the New Covenant, our author says it does. Now, how does it happen? How does the law of God get into our hearts? Well, this is where the prophet Ezekiel explains how it happens. Let me read from Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms our hearts. And so we end up having a desire to do what is right before God. Uh, We are also given the ability more and more to do what is right before God. That's what sanctification is all about. The old covenant could only tell us, wag its finger at us and tell us what we ought to do. The new covenant through the Holy Spirit empowers us to live rightly. Now let's go on here in our text in verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So under the new covenant, what our author is saying is we will move from knowing about the Lord to truly knowing the Lord. But we can all say, because we are American citizens, that we know the president. But there are those, of course, who can actually know him personally and have a personal relationship. That's the difference here that our author is presenting us here. Knowing the Lord means knowing the Lord personally. Under the Old Covenant, all the Israelites knew about God. They believed him. They believed in him. They believed that he existed. But they did not know him. He was not relevant to their lives. At least they did not think so. And so as they're going through the, the wilderness, I mean, he's, he's uh, not providing water for them and food for them according to their timetable in the way that they want it. He has insist, insisted that they cannot make images of him. And so he's invisible and he seems far away. And, and the only time they ever really feel him is when he's being harsh with them. His rules are burdensome. So what it is, is they lack the eyes to see and they lack the ears to hear. And just as the law was powerless to make the people love and obey its own commandments, so it could not make people know the Lord. It could point to the Lord. It could make promises. It could issue very stern warnings but it lacked power to instill personal knowledge in the heart. But under the new covenant, that kind of knowledge is widespread. The Holy Spirit comes in and the Holy Spirit transforms hearts. He gives those hearts and he gives those minds true knowledge of the Lord as the Spirit turns our hearts to him and we love him. We are devoted to him. So we see here the the, the first two advantages of the new covenant is about the real changes that are made in, in people's relationship toward God and toward his law. The last advantage addresses the relationship of God to his people. Look at me in verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. 
Now, the law of the Old Covenant, if anything, it only incurred God's just wrath against his people as they would continually disobey it. But the New Covenant ushers in mercy so that God not only forgives sins, God forgets those sins. The New Covenant brings a new start, and it is mercy that becomes the new watchword. And our author then concludes in verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So what he wants us to understand is that the new covenant, and he particularly wants his readers, those Jewish believers, to understand this. That the new covenant is not a new alternative for having a covenantal relationship with the Lord. The old covenant does not remain as a leftover so that, okay, the, the older folks, the older generation, you don't like change. You can follow that way and you younger folks can go for the, the new covenant. Now, the, the old covenant is like well, for me, it's like those old versions of software. You know, you're happy with your software, and then you start getting messages. This, this version will no longer be supported, so that you eventually you must switch over to the new version. Well, that's the same way here. The new covenant is ultimately better because it's the only covenant supported by the Lord. Now, let's move to our lessons here. And I could have taken, I could take each of those three things that we've learned and, to, and apply those personally. But what I, what I want to focus on is trying to help us Westerners have a, an understanding what it means to have a covenantal mindset. Okay. That's, that's how our author is just naturally thinking that way. That's how the readers are thinking that way. As Westerners, Our default mode perspective in life about anything is from being an individual who is free from obligations. And that's especially true of us as as, as Americans. Even when we think, well, yes, we should do things together, we think in terms of of volunteering to work together. And what we do together is what each of us as individuals choose to do. But I'm an individual. I'm not beholden. I don't have to do anything. Now, I want you to consider this mindset in connection in our relationship with God. Okay. This is how we typical, a typical individual looks at uh, his or her relationship with God. I was lost in my sin. Hell was my destination, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I asked him to come into my heart, and he saved me. And now I can look forward to heaven. God also blesses me in many ways here while I live on earth, and I try to live as he would have me to live. And that's kind of a typical testimony. Now, look at salvation from a covenantal perspective. How someone with that mindset, 
And the words I'm about to use, the terms I use, I just went to Ephesians and just pulled them out of Ephesians chapter 2. I was separated from God, alienated from God's covenant people, and a stranger to the covenant of promise. I had no hope. I was without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, I who was once was far off, I have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I now belong to God in his kingdom. I may now look forward to the promised inheritance to God's people. And that is to that someday uh, that he will come and restore that kingdom. And now I serve the Lord in his kingdom while I am on this earth. Do you see the distinction in this perspective? In the individualistic framework, I view my salvation like a partnership. I accept Jesus into my heart. Jesus moves in. And we go through life together. In the covenant framework, I view my salvation more like a, like a king vassal commitment. I, the vassal, commit to Jesus, my king, as my Lord, and he receives me into his kingdom. Or another way, in the individual mindset, I am an individual, I'm obtaining assurance that I someday will go to heaven. From the covenant mindset, I am joining a community that together awaits its inheritance of a heavenly city. And that first way of thinking as an individual, I promise to live as best I can in a way that pleases God. In that covenant manner, in that kind of mindset, I am yielding myself, my life in obedience as a kingdom citizen, as a kingdom servant to serve my God in that kingdom. From the individualistic viewpoint, my salvation is ultimately, it's ultimately about me, about the blessings that I look forward to receiving. From the covenant viewpoint, my salvation is part of a much larger, a more glorious enterprise I am joining Uh, This enterprise in which Jesus is retaking and is restoring God's kingdom on earth. And I'm allowed to be, play a role in that. See, what, what a covenantal perspective forces us to see is that we belong to a community. Now, you can call that community, you can call it a kingdom. You can call it, excuse me, a nation. You can call it a family. You can call it, as it's said in Ephesians, as a body of which Jesus Christ is the head. Now, we know that we need to be individually saved. We're not saved because of our parents' faith. We're saved, but when we are saved, we are saved into a covenant community. And the vows we make in the new covenant are vows that we make 
with our brothers and sisters who belong with us to God. That kind of concept is often lost in our our individualistic society. Again, we, we think in terms of this way. I get saved. Well, I know I should go to church. And so I look around to find a church that best suits me, which I may join or may not join. I, if I try it and I'm not satisfied, I, well, I'll look around again, which, you know, I'll get to at some point. Uh, I find a church that I like. Maybe I'll join it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll volunteer to help in some activities. And who knows, maybe I'll join a class or, or maybe a Bible study if, well, if it suits my time schedule and, you know, I like the people or not. From the covenant framework, I get saved and I become a member of a church that proclaims the gospel. And I commit to this church family knowing that it's together. Again, I'm just drawing from Ephesians. It is together that we grow into that we grow under the headship of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't see myself as a volunteer, but rather as a servant, serving God's kingdom with the gifts that God has given me. That is what belonging to God's kingdom community entails. That's what belonging to God's community people involves. It all goes back to that line. I will be their God and they will be my people. God, the God of the universe, he's our God. He belongs to us, to us, not to me and then maybe to you, to us, not I belong to God and oh, I am glad to hear that you belong to him as well. We are his people. That's why worshiping together is so important. Yes, you can worship God alone. I can worship God alone. But God calls us together to worship him, just as he calls us together to serve him. Now, we're in an unusual time. And I'm very glad... And, you know, we have to make all these adjustments because of the virus. And I'm just thankful to God, you know, that we live in a technological age. And so we have brothers and sisters right now, this moment, in, in their homes who can worship with us in some way from their homes. But it should never feel quite right. We should long to be with each other because we belong to one another In the new covenant. I'm glad for the technology we have, but even more am I grateful for the Holy Spirit. For that spirit who who truly does unite us together, wherever we may be. And in that new covenant, that spirit has transformed our hearts. He has written God's law in our hearts. He has taught us to know our Lord And he has caused us to be cleansed from our sins through mercy. And that certainly is a far superior covenant.
And we give you praise and thanks, our God, for this covenant that you have made for us through our Lord Jesus Christ, a mediator of this covenant. And may we be faithful to you in serving you in this kingdom as your covenant people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand and we will sing the last verse of the hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.